Let's turn to Paul's letter to the Romans, Romans chapter 8. Romans 8, verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope... For what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. I want us to particularly look this morning at verse 23. Not, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons. So the, uh, the, the target this morning, the aim this morning, is to make you groan. So if, as I stepped up onto the platform, if anyone groaned, as you saw that happening, well, you're 45 minutes too soon, um, the groaning should come at the end. John Stott, commenting on this, John Stott, who I respect enormously, said, some Christians grin too much and groan too little. So don't grin, okay? Now, I'm very happy to have people grinning. I'm not sure I agree with John Stott on that one. Uh, Some Christians grin too much and groan too little. Here, Paul says that we groan inwardly. So what's that all about? Do feel free to grin at me occasionally. Although I might think, oh, what have I said wrong? So I know maybe it's better if you don't. But um, unless I try to say something funny, then grins are appropriate. You don't have to be rude. So, we, we, who, we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly. That's because of where we are. Paul has just said the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth. He's referred to the state of creation, speaking about pain, speaking about frustration, speaking about decay, verses 20, 21, and 22. That's how creation is because of human sin. When Adam and Eve, the first human beings that God made, chose to rebel against God, they are judged, but creation also is judged. Creation, which was meant to be for their benefit, then becomes kind of their enemy. And what was supposed to be a delight for them now becomes hard work. And creation has been subjected to frustration, Paul says, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay. So creation is convulsed in pain. We see natural disasters. We see political disasters. There is pain. There is turmoil. That is part of this big picture. And what Paul says here is, and we also groan. We're in a situation, a creation that is groaning, and we're not immune from that. We don't live, as Christians, we don't live kind of uh, charmed lives where everything goes fine for us, but the world is suffering. No, we also suffer. Mark Smith has been just sharing about little Dan, and he's having all that treatment because of cancer. Yes, we suffer. We suffer along with creation. We're not immune from the things that happen. We also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly, Paul says. 
So we're not immune, nor are we detached and unfeeling about the things that happen in creation. We care about these things. As, as creation groans, we groan. If we're not actually suffering, nonetheless, we feel for those who are. So we're very much in this situation. It's an imperfect world, and that causes us to groan. But Paul also says it's not only an imperfect world, we have an incomplete salvation. He says we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Now Paul has been saying that we have received the spirit of adoption, the spirit of sonship. Yes, we are sons of God, and we have been redeemed. But actually it's not complete yet. Creation is waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. Creation waits, it says in verse 19, in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. You might say, well, here we are. Well, actually, we're not fully there yet. Our, our redemption, our salvation is incomplete. The redemption of our bodies remains future. We wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Yes, we're saved, but we're not yet who we will be. Paul, in writing to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, there's a passage there that is very parallel, very close to what Paul is saying here. In, well, in the end of 2 Corinthians 4, in verse 16, he says, Outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. And then he says in chapter 5, verse 1, he's speaking about our bodies. We know that if the earthly tent, in other words, our body, if, if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, there's that word again, we groan longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. Because when we're clothed, we will not be found naked. While we're in this tent, we groan and are burdened. Because, we are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Paul there is speaking about the tension of living with a hope of heaven, and yet we're not there yet, and we're in, we, we know we're going to have a new body, but at the moment we're still in this one. And in this one, we're subject to physical limitations. We're subject to aging. We get tired. Uh, we, we, we have mental limitations. We, we can read things in the Bible and think, I just can't get my head around that. I can't understand it. Some years ago, a book was published with the misleading title. The, the, the title was Understanding the Trinity. Page one said, you can't. <laughs> yeah, there are things I can't get my head around. I can't understand it. And we, we can grow. Think, I, I want to be free of these limitations. I want to be free of just getting tired, feeling I really can't do that. We want to be free of all of that to know there's, there's something better ahead. And so we groan. Not that we just want to be some sort of disembodied spirit. Paul says that would be like being naked. No, we want to take off this body and put on the new one where that's what we're designed for. Where then we're free of restrictions, where we don't struggle with the flesh anymore. 
The last couple of Sundays, Mark has been taking us through some of the teaching of Jesus about dealing with anger, dealing with lust. Wouldn't it be wonderful when we're free of all that? When we will never get angry again. When we'll never have thoughts we're ashamed of. We'll never be tempted anymore. Free of all of that. Paul says, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. Longing to be free of all that. No more pride. No more self-pity. None of all of that. No more struggles, but redeemed. The redemption of our bodies. Our adoption as sons. An imperfect world an incomplete salvation, and so we groan. We groan because of suffering. We groan also because of excitement, because there's something ahead. We're longing for it. Do you know what it is to, when you're really looking forward to something, and it seems so slow coming, you know, there are some people, maybe there are some here, I don't know, who you're going to be getting married, say, later this year or next year. And, I mean, I've known people who are going to be married sort of in, in, you know, later on in the year, and they already know how many days, how many hours, and they're marking them off. You know, there's a kind of longing. I can think of times when I've been on an overseas trip, and maybe, say, it's a three-week trip. And it's great, you know, I know I'm serving God and enjoying it, but about halfway through, I suddenly become aware it's the halfway mark. So the time that's gone is the time that's ahead. I think, ah, halfway there. And then, from that moment, time goes slowly. And you're counting each half day, thinking, I want to go home. (laughs) You've worked hard Missing home, missing Mary, and I think, I want to go home. And you, there's a, almost a groaning. Oh, no, there's still another week. Oh, and then, you, and then the last day lasts forever. You think, just one more day. Oh, will I ever get through? And then you get to the airport and the flight's delayed. Oh, <laughs> groaning. I want to get there. And Paul says, we're groaning because we want to get home. We want to be where we're designed to be, where we're destined to be. There's a new body waiting for us, and we'll be free of all of this stuff that so anchors us and inhibits us. That day's coming, and we groan. We groan because we suffer. We groan because we're longing for something that just seems such a long time coming. Now, Paul talks here then about This living in between two worlds, we've been saved and there's a new world coming and we're we're not there yet. And he talks about how we cope. He says we groan, but he also says uh, we, we groan as we wait eagerly. And then in verse 25, he says, if we hope for what we don't yet have, we wait for it patiently. He talks about two ways of waiting. We wait patiently and we wait eagerly. Let's take them in that order. We wait patiently. We are patient because we know some things. Verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth. We know that all this suffering is like labor pains. This suffering will produce something, and we know that. We, we, We have a sense of what it's all about. 
verse 28. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. We are patient because of what we know. We know that God is totally supreme. We know that he is purposeful. We know that there's nothing random. There is nothing out of control. We know that God is God. He is supreme. He must succeed simply because he's God. And we know he's working out plans. We know our destiny could not be in better hands. His hands. There is the future unknown to us, but it's known to God. And his hands are purposeful. And we're in those hands. We know that. And so we can wait patiently. There's no fear that anything's going out of control, in other words. We know God's got it in hand. And so verse 38 in this chapter, I am convinced. There are things we know. Paul says, I'm convinced that neither death nor life and all these other things will be able to separate us from the love of God. There are things that we know. Equally, there are things that we hope. In this hope, verse 24, we were saved. But a hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. We are patient because we've got a hope. And hope, as you know, when when the Bible uses this word, it's not speaking about something less than faith. Well, I hope so. It's talking about something absolutely certain. It's talking about something as certain as the light at the end of the tunnel. We've got a hope. There's something we're absolutely sure of. Creation has got a hope. It was subjected to frustration. It says in verse 20, in hope. Creation's got a hope. It knows that a day of liberation is coming. And we also have a hope. We know that a day of liberation is coming, a day of redemption. That is our hope. Back in chapter 5, if you remember back when we looked at that, Paul says there uh, in uh, verse 3, we rejoice in, uh, verse 2, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And then he says, and hope doesn't disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts. We are people with a hope and so we wait patiently. We're not hopeless. We're not adrift. We've got a hope and we're believing God and hence we endure. We press through. We wait patiently. Hope puts everything into perspective. We can see where we're going and more than that, We've got a hope because God has given us the first fruits of the Spirit. We've been given a taster of what is ahead. And that taster assures us that what is ahead is worth waiting for. We've, the, we've got the taste of now we know God. Now God's love is poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And our experience of God now by the Spirit, which is just the first fruits, that tells us what's ahead is worth waiting for. We're not going to give up, and so we wait patiently. However, patience can just become passive. Patience can be just a kind of stoicism, Just grit your teeth, cope with it, won't go on forever, 
and we just wait, enduring what is, and all our hopes are way into the future. Now, Paul tells us here, we don't only wait patiently, we wait eagerly. We're not passive. We're not just consigning everything into the distant future. We actually have an eagerness about us as we wait. So let's look at what Paul says in verse 23. We who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our, redemp- for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. What makes us eager is that we are those who have the first fruits of the Spirit. Now, what does that mean? It's having the first fruits of the Spirit that causes us, Paul says, to groan inwardly and that causes us to have an eagerness about the future, eagerness about where we are now, all that we're looking forward to. That word first fruits is a word that occurs quite often in the early books of the Bible. Back in Exodus 23, for example, there's a reference to the first fruits. And in the Old Testament, the first fruits are an offering given to God. Exodus 23 and verse 16. Celebrate the feast of harvest with the first fruits of the crops you sow in your field, it says. And then in verse 19, bring the best of the first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. What's that about? Well, it's talking about harvest, and it's saying when things first ripen, when you've got the first well, the first fruits, the first to, to harvest. You don't say, oh, I've been looking forward to that. You give it to God. The first fruits of the harvest, the best of the harvest, given to God. Here, Paul turns it round. It's no longer something that we give to God. It's something God has given to us. When, under the law, when the first fruits were, were, were offered to God, it's the first to ripen because there's a harvest coming. There's plenty more coming. We give the first to God. Now, God has turned it round and says, there's plenty more coming, but I'm giving the first to you. He's given the first fruits to us. The first fruits, and what are they? His Spirit. Elsewhere, Paul speaks of the giving of the Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what's to come. Now he changes the picture. It's the first fruits in saying there's a harvest coming. There's so much more of the same coming, but now here's a taster. Here's my gift to you to show you there's a harvest coming. There's plenty more to come. We who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly. In other words... You're only going to groan if you've tasted the first fruits. If you haven't tasted the first fruits, you will grin and not groan. Or you might not even grin. But it's the taster, it's the first fruits that cause that yearning. I want more. I'm looking forward to more. I've tasted this is good and I want what's ahead. There's that eagerness to know more of God, to press into more of God, and an eagerness, not just a longing, but an eagerness to be home with Him. What are the first fruits? Well, the first fruits of the Spirit. What does the Spirit do, in other words? 
In 2 Corinthians 5, the chapter that we looked at earlier, where Paul is again saying about groaning and longing to be free of this restricted, limited, inhibited body and to be finally back with the Lord to enjoy Him. He, he's saying we, we're longing for when what is mortal can be swallowed up in life. But he also says later on in that chapter in verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Yeah, there's so much as ahead, and we're longing for that, but right here and now, because of the Spirit, we are a new creation. We are already new creatures in Christ, and the old has gone, the new has come. Because by the Spirit, we're being placed into Christ, as we've seen earlier in Romans. We're in Christ, we were in Adam. Now we're in Christ, we're inseparable from Him, we're enjoying Him, we're led by the Spirit. It says in Romans 8, those who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. We know the activity of the Spirit. We've got God's love poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom He has given us. We're empowered by the Spirit. Jesus said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses. We're forgiven We're we're set free by the Spirit, a new creation. That's the first fruits. That's just the taster. That's there to whet our appetite, where God says, and there's more. There's more when all that we've tasted, well, is just leading into the fullness that is still ahead. This is the beginning of of the new age, that if you're familiar with your Old Testament, you'll see all the way through, the prophets are pointing forward to a a wonderful day that is coming. A wonderful day that is coming when creation's going to be liberated, when there's no more enmity between different species and so on, no more killing, there's peace, the earth full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That age is coming, a new heaven and a new earth. But part of that, is God's going to pour out His Spirit. Now, that's there right through the Old Testament, but particularly because it's taken up in the New Testament. In Joel chapter 2, verse 28, the prophet, bringing the Word of God, says, Afterwards, I will pour out My Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I'll show wonders in the heavens and on the earth. Blood, fire, billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said. And so it goes on. Now, it's obviously pointing way beyond where we are to the end of everything. But notice where it starts. I will pour out my Spirit on all people. And as you know, on the day of Pentecost, when the disciples have gathered together, as was their custom. They're together, presumably they're praying, because that was their custom, to unanimously join together to pray. Suddenly, it becomes a day like no other. Suddenly, there's this sound like the blowing of a violent wind. 
And it fills the whole house. And then they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. What's happening? Well, uh, Peter stands up and says, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. In other words, that new age that the prophets speak about, look forward to, are excited about, Peter is saying, it started. It started. We are in the beginning of this new age that for ages past people have looked forward to. How do we know? Well, God has given his spirit. Like Joel said, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit. We are in the start of that. We're way into that. 2,000 years have passed now since Peter said that. This is that age, the first fruits of the spirit. We are in the beginning of that. And so... Having tasted what God has given, we're eager for the future. We cannot be kind of indifferent, apathetic. We cannot be distracted, preoccupied with other things. We've tasted something. Or maybe that should be turned into a question. Have we? Have you? Have you tasted the first fruits? Have, you know, Sometimes you, you can be in a, a supermarket or a store and there'll be um, one of these places where they've got samples. Um, if you're wise to these things, if you're out shopping around lunchtime, you know where all the free samples are and you make sure that you sort of go past several times, but maybe you don't. But um, I know people who make it a habit to know where you can get it. You can get a free drink there, you can get something free, and so they go around. But you, you see these things, you, you taste it. And you might think, no. Or you taste it and think, I want more of that. Yeah, I like that. That's good. God has given us something. He said, this is a taster. The first fruits of the Spirit. And we taste and think, that's good. I want more. We're eager. We're eager. And we know that the fullness of that is when we're home with the Lord. We say, I want to get there. But in the meantime, I'm not only eager for the future... I want to enjoy the first fruits. I want to enjoy this. We're eager for the future. The Spirit shows us things to come. He is, as it were, the taster who whets our appetite for the meal that is to follow. And we long for the fullness of all that at the moment is partial. So we're here today joining together to worship God. And there are imperfections. Mark stood up and the mic didn't work. The song management system, half of two-thirds of the congregation couldn't read it. There are imperfections. And not only that, there are imperfections in us. I wonder who can honestly say all the way through the worship time you were totally engaged with God and not distracted by anything or anyone. I won't ask for a show of hands because I really don't think there would be any. We're imperfect. We're incomplete. Everything is partial. And 
We want the fullness. We want to know, don't we? Because we've tasted and we've seen that the Lord is good. We want to be able to worship him fully. Can't even imagine really what that would be like, but to be totally absorbed with him, knowing him as he knows us, understanding what we don't understand now, seeing his sheer majesty and admiring his wisdom and thrilled with it all with no reluctance, resentment, fear cropping up inside us, just totally open, totally absorbed, totally enjoying, and totally blessed. We've got the taster here. It's a taster. Now, we don't despise the day of small things. We don't dismiss what we've got. We say, yeah, this is the taster, but what's it going to be like? What's it going to be like when there is no song management system? When you don't need a mic? We're just enjoying God and knowing him and just blown away by such greatness and majesty that our little minds couldn't begin to comprehend it now. I wonder if then we will understand the Trinity. <laughs> Things we can't, I mean, parents trying to explain the Trinity to your children, trying to, trying to explain Jesus fully God and fully man, but not a mixture of the two. Not partly God and part, fully. How do you explain that? I don't understand. But we will see him. We will know him. We'll enjoy him. And all the restrictions, pains, suffering, fears, hang-ups, the whole lot, gone. Now what we have here is just a little taster. We enjoy, hopefully week by week we were able to enjoy more, but it's only partial. And we long for the fullness of it. We long to know Jesus. See how Paul, particularly writing to the Philippians, he's well on now in his ministry, but he says, I want to know him. You think, Paul, don't you know him? Of course he does, but there's always more. I want to know him. And when we see him, we'll know him. Just knowing about, we'll, we'll know. <laughs> now I know. We'll see God on his throne. We know. Now we try to conceive of things and our thinking is so restricted. So we're eager for the future because we've got the first fruits. And we enjoy the first fruits. If we're indifferent to the first fruits, we're going to have no longing for the harvest. It's only by enjoying what God has given us now that we have a longing for what is then. And if our eyes are only on that and we think, I I don't really know that I'm eager about that, I'm certainly not groaning about it, well, what about the first fruits? There's much more to explore and enjoy that God has given now. We who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly. In order to know that deep yearning that's like an inward groan, then we've got to say, and we want to know more about these first fruits. We want to understand more about this that God has given us for now 
to prepare us for then, to enjoy God now more than we've ever done before, to see what God is doing. You know, there is a way of so longing for more that we become frustrated and dismissive of what is now. I've known people, sadly not, I'm glad to say not many, but sadly a few. I have known people who have had such ambitions for church that they actually end up leaving the church and never attending another church because they're so frustrated that the church isn't how they want it to be. You think, hey, there's something wrong there. That's a trick of the devil to get us frustrated that we're not seeing more and then you just dismiss what is. Hey, look around at what is. Look around. (laughs) Feel free, look around. Well, I, I love sitting down there. I mean, I know people think, oh, it's just tradition, and I'd be totally thrown if someone else sat in that seat. And why doesn't, you know, I know there are dares. I dare you to sit where Arnold sits. Okay. I'll just move you. <laughs> no, feel free, but don't. Um, <laughs> I like sitting there because the seat is angled, see? So I can stand there and just look right up the meeting. I tell you, you I want more, but I'm thrilled with what is. And to look up and just see people worshipping God, you think, that's a miracle. It's a miracle if one person worships God. But to see people join together, enjoying God, hey, that's wonderful. Don't don't despise the day of small things, because There's more that isn't happening. Look what is happening. Look what God is working in people's lives. Every prayer that's answered, every new step of faith, hey, it's wonderful. This is the first. The church is wonderful. To be part of church is wonderful. That's a taster of the new age. Don't despise it. Get involved more. Explore more of what it means to be church together, to be people from so many different backgrounds, so many different temperaments, all one in Christ and united together to seek Him with one heart and one voice. That's wonderful. The world hasn't got anything to match that. This is God. So let's enjoy the first fruits. Let's enjoy what is. Let's enjoy what God is doing and be thrilled. Yeah, we can say, we want to see great miracles. But everyone here is a great miracle. Let's not be dismissive. Let's not so reach out up there that we're failing to see what's here. It's God is working. Those of you at the prayer time on Friday evening, hearing Kerry's story, what God is doing, you think, oh, wonderful. This is God at work. I'm not going to say any more. You should have been there. <laughs> no, you can see her after. She'll tell you. But God's working. God is doing things. Let's not so... What, you know, we can read the book of Acts and say, hey, when they met and prayed, the building shook. We want to see that happening. Well, it only happened once. Well, how they felt the next week when they met to pray and the building didn't shake. Oh, not like the old days. <laughs> They're meeting to seek God. God, And when we meet with God, that's who we want. We're not looking for excitement 
We're looking to be satisfied in God, to do his will, to know his presence. And when that happens, anything can happen. So we're enjoying God now. We're enjoying church. We're enjoying his spirit amongst us and eager for more. It's a positive frustration, not a negative frustration. And when we say, there's got to be more than this, we're not saying, oh, there's got to be more than this. There's more. There's always more. We haven't yet enjoyed fully the first fruits. Are we ready for the harvest? God's got so much more for us. We're not going to yearn for home if we've despised the first fruits, if we've not tasted, if we've not seen that God is good. God has done something wonderful. The new age has dawned. He has given His Spirit, His manifest presence amongst His people. The Spirit here to make Jesus real to us, manifest to us, be glorified amongst us. We're in that time. There's more to know of it. There's more to explore. Let's go for it with all our might. And as we taste and see how wonderful this is, then say, I want to be home with the Lord. I want to be free of, you know, we can, we can pray so long and then we get tired. I want to be free of that so I can just worship him forever because we're, we're destined for an eternity, forever with the Lord. We want that. So we groan in ourselves. It says we groan inwardly or we groan in ourselves, we groan amongst ourselves. There's a yearning expressed to God. We're longing for home. We're longing to know him better because God is showing us now glimpses of what it will be like then. And we say with every glimpse, I want to see more. I want to see more. I want to see more of God's glory amongst his people. Praise God for the glory that is. Let's recognize it. Let's thank God for it. Say, we want more. We want more of of his presence. We want more of his evident power. We want more of just the grace gifts that he gives. We want more because we love him. We're not going just for things, we're going for him. We want to see Jesus manifest amongst us, don't we? The whole creation groaning, not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan amongst ourselves as we're waiting eagerly, waiting patiently. We're longing for this adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Everyone who is saved comes into that hope where our perspective is future and we're longing for the Lord. Let's long for him in a way that enables us to just set other things aside, to recognize distractions for what they are, to recognize irrelevances for what they are, and say, no, our focus is on God. We want to know him, and we want to know more of him now. Enjoy the first fruits to be ready for the future. Let's pray.